Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Realm presents The Witch Who Came In From The Cold, Season 1, Episode 22. Prague, February 19th, 1970. 1. Zarena Polnok strolled across the Malostranska Square, her heels clicking against the stones. A basket with the first of the day's purchases was tucked into the crook of her arm. Most of the preparation for tonight's party, she had delegated to her battalion of servants, but there were certain items that required a more refined taste, and these she bought herself. Already in her basket were two bottles of imported wine, to be saved for the Indian ambassador, a new necklace, purchased discreetly on the black market, that would look stunning with her gown for the evening, and an assortment of French cheeses. She was on her way now to pick out the flowers. She hoped to find something that suggested spring. That would be a lovely touch, wouldn't it? Even as the Prague winter dragged on. The right flowers, the right combination of colors for the linens, and her guests would almost feel a hint of warmth in the brisk air. She'd always thought the neighborhood flower shop had the best selection, and the owner, Alexander Harushka, was an elegant man with an impeccable sense of taste, for someone with his background in breeding. But the shop was also conveniently located a few blocks away, and when people saw her coming and going, they would never question it. Because why wouldn't Zarina Polnok, wife of the Soviet ambassador and hostess of all the best parties in Prague, frequently visit a flower shop? She clicked along the sidewalk until she came to the little park, which wasn't really a park at all, but a courtyard tucked in between two of the heavy stone buildings. In the summer, it was lovely. A verdant patchwork of green doused in the sweet scent of roses. But now it was just a plot of cold mud, punctuated by thorny shrubs. Zarena followed the stepping stones to the bench in the corner, where she sat delicately, setting the basket at her side. She reached into her purse and pulled out her cigarettes and lit one the smoke twining up to the steely sky. Pedestrians passed by on the sidewalk, but they paid no attention to her, this woman taking a break from her shopping. As she smoked, she slid one hand along the back fold of the bench. 
There had been an advertisement for Russian dolls tucked into her newspaper this morning. A bit of a joke, really. Who would buy such a thing these days, in this place? But that was the sign, the secret code. I have a message for you. Her fingers hit the bit of paper stuck into the bench's wire work. She enclosed it in her fist and brought her hand into her lap. She kept her hand there as she smoked. When she finished, she dropped the cigarette into the mud, gathered up her basket, and continued on her way. She did not look at the message until she had nearly reached the flower shop. The shop's bright, hand-painted signs swung back and forth in the wind. There were ferns in the windows, feathery and prehistoric. Zarena unrolled the paper with her thumb and glanced at the text, taking it in quickly before crumpling it into a ball and tossing it into a patch of lingering snow, where she stepped on it, puncturing and ripping it with the heel of her shoe, before breezing in through the doors of the shop. We must meet, the message had read. 11 a.m., Russo's Bakery. It seemed Mr. Komietsky had taken her party preparations into consideration. It was a small consolation. Two, Jordan ran a rag over the inside of a beer glass, giving it one last polish before setting it back into the cabinet. The bar wasn't going to open for another couple of hours, but she liked getting the easy chores finished early, before she started in on some of the orders for charms and potions and other bits of magic that were still outstanding. She tossed the rag over her shoulder and gazed out at the room, checking over her domain. Everything looked good. The floors were swept and mopped, the chairs straightened, the mirror behind the bar polished to gleaming. Cleaning was mindless work, but that was what she liked about it. Magic forced her to dive too deeply into her own thoughts sometimes, like she was pulling herself inside out. The air tightened, squeezed, and exhaled. A prickle of energy rushed over Jordan's skin. She cursed under her breath. Something had tripped the protection charms. Such charms were strewn all over Barvodnor, a hodgepodge of magic that Jordan had assembled over the years. Some were twisted into the walls of the building itself, family heirlooms that had been here since the beginning. Others, less permanent, were made to look like decorations. Bunches of dried herbs in a chipped vase, polished stones scattered around the tables. She used a blend of some staid ice magic and a few select flame spells, as well as some of the homey folk magic she'd picked up in her travels. It was an effective arrangement, and it didn't miss much. And it was still thrumming. More strongly now, more insistent. Jordan sighed and slapped the rag down. She sidled up to the window and peered out, catching a glimpse of a pair of men strolling down the sidewalk. She frowned. Then she reached into the cabinet below the bar. She pulled out a strand of wooden beads, each one carved with a different alchemical symbol, and draped it around her neck. Then she grabbed the little velvet bag of offensive charms and tucked it into her pocket. It wasn't much, but she wasn't going out there completely unarmed. The air buzzed and sparked against her skin, an eerie sensation but not exactly unpleasant. 
This wasn't Gabe's damn golem, at least. Something smaller, something she could probably handle. She did a quick reconnaissance of the inside of the bar, checking the upstairs seating area and then the labyrinthine back rooms. Nothing. She assumed whoever it was hadn't gotten inside yet. The charms would have been screaming if that were the case. But Jordan was a cautious woman, and sorcerers, whether ice or flame, were slippery sorts. They found their way through the cracks. Jordan approached the alley exit, tucked away in the corner of the bar. She put one hand on the doorknob and gathered the wooden beads in the other, tugging the necklace against the back of her neck. She closed her eyes and murmured ancient words very softly. Magic bolted through her. If anyone tried to attack her unawares, they wouldn't get her on the first shot. Maybe not on the second either. No guarantees on the third. She pushed open the door. Cold February wind swept inside, blustery and still holding on to winter. Jordan let go of the beads and stepped out into the street. Who are you? She shouted. I know you're here. I can feel you. Voices, a whiff of cigarette smoke. Jordan followed the building up the alley to the main street. A pair of men leaned against the lamppost in front of the bar. They glanced up at the sound of her footsteps, but didn't say anything. The smoker lifted his cigarette away from his lips and blew out a cloud of smoke. The protective charm pulsed. Jordan stomped forward. Bar doesn't open till noon. The two men glanced at each other. Jordan had never seen either of them before, but they had a toughness to their features that you didn't usually find in the ice. The flame selected by talent and skill and loyalty to the cause. The ice selected by pedigree. We heard good things about this place. The smoker gestured toward the front entrance with his cigarette. Wanted to see it for ourselves. I told you, Jordan said. I'm not open. She didn't reach for her charms. Not yet. If they were just scouts, she didn't want to start anything she didn't have to. She'd try to chase them off the mundane way first. Great location. The second man peeled himself away from the light pole and ambled toward her. Jordan tensed. An excellent intersection, don't you think? The bar's location was shit, actually. Tucked in between ornate buildings housing government bureaucracies. Most of the people around here weren't the sort to frequent a place like Bar Vaudenar. But there was another reason you might say this place had a great location. And it was burning in invisible rivers beneath their feet a nexus of power that converged directly under the room where the lonely and downtrodden and desperate of Prague sat down to have a drink every night. These two gasma were flame then. I told you, we're not open yet. Jordan took a step forward. The smoker flicked his cigarette out into the street. And I'm not letting you in until noon, she continued. You want to drink? You come back then. You want something else from me? She fixed them both with a stone-cold stare. Don't bother. I don't have what you're looking for. The smoker grinned 
I don't know about that, Miss Reams. Well, I'm not offering it. That better? Jordan jerked her head down the street. Leave. If you stick around out here, you're going to freeze to death before we open. The two men exchanged glances, and then they shifted, their movements slow, casual, vaguely menacing. Jordan stared at them, chin lifted. These two were low on the chain. She could take them if she had to. They shifted their weight, kicked at the old ice in the snow. We don't freeze, the smoker said as he walked past. You'd do best to remember that. Jordan watched them go. They meandered down the sidewalk. The smoker kept throwing glances her way, but they eventually rounded the corner and disappeared. Off to report to their flame bosses, no doubt. Jordan went back inside through the alley entrance. The protection charms had quieted and stilled. For a moment, she stood beside the door, breathing in the scent of sage from her charms and the lemony glow of her cleaning solutions. It was difficult to do serious magic without support from the two factions, but Jordan had managed all this time because of the ley lines converging under her bar. She could feel them now, like lines of electricity. The flame were up to something. First, those two university professors had stopped by, and now there were men skulking around like a pair of hungry dogs. This was about the ley lines, about the kind of magic you couldn't do alone. She did not like it. Jordan double-checked the lock and then stepped into the first of the back rooms, past the storage shelves and into her office. The familiar scent of dried herbs washed over her, and for a moment, she stood and considered her options. The flame had approached her before about access to Bar Vodnar, but this encounter made her nervous in a way that the previous one hadn't. Before, they'd at least pretended to be genteel. This aggression had the stink of desperation about it. With quick, practiced movements, Jordan began pulling supplies from the shelves. Bits of stone, boxes of matches, twists of twine. She selected each item from memory, then laid them out on her desk, studied them. Then she unlocked the bottom drawer of her desk and pulled out her grimoire, a book she had sewn together herself many years ago, chanting softly as the thread wound through the paper. Now, she thumbed through the pages until she came to the section she needed. For fighting, it read in Arabic, written out in the looping handwriting of her youth. She hardly recognized it all these years later, hardly connected that writing to the person she'd become. She selected a charm from the table of contents, and then she set to work. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Three. Sasha was waiting near the entrance to Rousseau's bakery. He leaned against the wall, eating from a bag of roasted nuts that he must have purchased from the street vendor two blocks over. As Arena walked over to the entrance, he pulled himself upright, then walked with her into the bakery. It was empty, save the girl behind the counter, dull-faced and covered in flour. She was laying out pastries on a display sheet, her brow furrowed in concentration. Would you like one? Sasha asked, holding out the greasy bag. Zarena shook her head and gently pushed the bag away, wrinkling her nose with disgust. Not right now, Sashenka. Sasha chuckled and tucked the bag into his coat pocket. Zarena walked up to the counter, where the girl looked up from her work, blinking. I put in an order, Zarena said. For Zarena Pulnok, I'm here to confirm. At first, the girl gave no indication that she understood anything Zarena had said. But then, as if she had only needed the time to mull things over, she turned and vanished into the back. As the door swung shut, Zarena heard her call out the owner's name. Zarena crossed her arms over her chest. What do you want? She said, looking ahead at the rows of delicately iced pastries. Information, Sasha said. You'll have to be more specific than that. The door flew open and out stepped the owner, Remy, holding up his hands in greeting. Madame Poulnok, he cried, rushing to Zarena so he could kiss her on the cheek. Remy had been born in Paris. He'd moved to Prague to be with a girl he loved. A sweet story, yes, but not of any real interest to Zarena, although his pastries were magnificent. You will adore what I've done for you, Remy said in French. A perfect selection for your party tonight. I have no doubt of that, Monsieur Rousseau. Zarena beamed at him, but really she was thinking about Sasha and his unhelpful little request. Information. What else would he come to her for? You said you wanted something classic, Remy said, and I took that to heart. Have a seat, he gestured toward the bakery's single tiny table, and I'll bring out these samples for your approval. It sounds lovely, thank you. Zarena gave him one last bright smile before moving over to the table. Sasha trailed behind her. He'd known about this, her little pre-party ritual at Rousseau's, but only because she'd let him know. Information was her true currency, and she managed it as she did her husband's wealth, doling it out whenever it was advantageous for her to do so. I imagine you're regretting those awful nuts now, Zarena said in Russian, tucking her napkin into her lap. French pastries, Sasha waved his hand dismissively. Bourgeois decadence, give me a key of cake any day. 
your patriotism is admirable. Now, what is this information you need? Sasha glanced back at the counter, where Remy shouted at the girl to hurry. Hurry, the madame was waiting. You always do that when we meet here, Zarena said, leaning back in her chair. Think the girl is listening in. Speak Russian. You know there are no ears here. Sasha grinned easily at her. I remember, but it's an old bureaucrat's paranoia. Forgive me. Zarena shifted in her seat, irritated. Sasha always did this, flitting around the conversation like a butterfly. This was not the day to sit at the table in Rousseau's and circle around each other. I don't have much time, Serena said. Yes, you well know. Tell me what you need. The girl was approaching, balancing two plates of pastry samples on outstretched hands. Sasha fell silent, watching her, and Serena rankled at the interruption, uncomfortable because she still did not know what Sasha wanted. Monsieur has prepared three pastries for you, and me fell a son honoré cake and a petite madeleine, the girl murmured, not making eye contact. She sat the plates down on the table and shuffled away, her hair hanging in strings over her eyes. Zarena sniffed, turned the pastries. They looked like tiny 18th century sculptures, delicate and shimmering. Perhaps I can be bourgeois for the afternoon, Sasha said picking up a cake. Zarena peered up at him. What, she said, do you need? He bit into the tiny cake and chewed, closing his eyes and letting out a delighted, mmm. Zarena didn't need to try the pastries to know they would be perfect. She trusted Remy. Sasha, she did not trust. I told you, Sasha said information. He looked at her. In exchange, I will give you information. You'd like that, wouldn't you? They were alone. Remy and the girl had ducked into the back room. Zarena tilted her head, interested, perhaps, but not terribly so. I always have need for information. It's about one of my officers. Sasha licked at the cream on his fingers. Tatiana Mikhailovna. Zarena considered this. She knew Tatiana, who always dutifully attended the cultural events required of her cover. No real sense of fashion, the poor thing. But she came from an important family, highly ranked in the party. And what information do you have about her? Zarena picked up the madeleine and weighed it between her fingers. I think she may be speaking with the vest. At that, Zarena laughed. <laughs> that little mouse. Don't be silly, Sasha. Her family's loyal. She's loyal. Zarena nibbled dutifully on the madeleine and then called out in French to Remy, who had emerged from the back room. Marvelous work, darling. They'll be the hit of the party, I'm sure. Remy pressed a hand to his heart, his way of saluting good taste. Zarena turned back to Sasha. He was scowling at her. What's the matter? 
she said sweetly. She has access to a radio, he said. Don't we all? Sasha sighed. Not that sort of radio. One used for communication. He shifted his weight and leaned forward, pushing the pastries aside. I have reason to suspect she's using it to contact the Americans. There was an incident. Oh, Zarena kept her expression neutral. I replaced the real radio with a plant, which was stolen out from under me. I hid a tracker on it, of course. Sasha's eyes glittered. And I tracked it to an alley near the American embassy compound. An unusual coincidence, don't you think? Zarena gazed at him. This was an interesting development. And of course you know she's been dallying about with that American security man, Pritchard. Ah, yes, I had heard something about that. So, Tatiana Mikhailovna was flirting with the other side. Very interesting indeed. Despite her protestations to Sasha, Zarena had, in fact, been considering this possibility herself. She wasn't going to let him in on everything. But her little whispers throughout the city had begun to talk of Morozova and Pritchard being seen together on a handful of occasions. Zarena didn't care about treason. She found it a pointless concern, whose alliances remained steadfast throughout their lives. But to the party, and to the West, such betrayals mattered deeply. And knowing of one was a treasure indeed. Still, she wondered why Sasha brought this information to her. Sasha, who played his own intelligence games in between those endless rounds of correspondence chess. You understand my concern, then, said Sasha. My need for information. Anything you have about Tanya, about the American, that might explain why she'd take her radio to such a peculiar place. And here, Zarena saw the opportunity to vault herself back into her preferred position of power. Convince Sasha that the girl's actions were of no concern to him, that this radio and this incident with the safe house were part of an assignment he was not privy to. And then Zarena could tuck the knowledge of Tatiana Mikhailovna's betrayal away, where she could make better use of it than Sasha or the party ever could. The information I have to give you won't make this the story you want. Zarena took another small bite of her madeleine. The radio itself is nothing of concern. It's a decoy, a means to an end. A means to an end? Sasha's eyebrows drew closer together. And here would you know that? Zarena smiled at him. Here do I know anything? Your Tatiana is only doing what Mother Russia has asked of her. An assignment for my husband. Quite secret. I'm afraid I can't say more than that. She leaned forward and placed a hand on top of Sasha's. He glowered at her. She was winning now. I can assure you, she's not a traitor. You don't really expect me to believe that. Believe what you want. Just remember that in a place like Prague, 
we can't always be open with one another. Although, I must say it's a good thing the real radio was of no value either. There are people who would be very upset to hear that you meddled in their affairs, swapping out plants when you had not been ordered to. Sasha gave her a cool look. I can ask my husband to verify for you, if necessary. Sasha did not believe her. She could tell by the way he was glaring at her over the crumbs of his pastries. She could see him working up protestations behind his angry expression. Zarena leaned across the table, pushing her plate aside. She rested her chin on one hand and gazed at him. He looked back at her, still angry, but now also cautious. Of course, I can't honestly say the ambassador would be happy to verify. As I understand it, the business with the radio is rather important. And for the KGB chief of station to intercede without permission. She clucked her tongue. Sasha's eyes narrowed. What are you saying, Zarena? Zarena smiled at him. Simply that my husband will not be happy about this situation. And I should remind you, Sasha, my friend, that my husband has very powerful friends back in Russia. Sasha stared at her. He kept his expression blank, old spy that he was, but Zarena thought she saw a quiver of fear skipping across his features. It wasn't just her husband's powerful friends Sasha had reason to fear. Zarena had powerful friends of her own. What are you saying? Sasha asked in a low voice. A crash came from the bakery counter. The girl had dropped a mixing bowl and it clattered and spun across the tiles. Sasha tensed at the sound, his hand curling around the edge of the table. When he saw Zarena looking, he dropped his hand to his side and leaned back easily, but it was too late. She had seen that tension, that anxiety. Remy berated the girl in rapid French. Zarena beamed at Sasha. He did not return the smile. Only that this radio was always meant to be worthless to the Americans. So you didn't muck things up too badly. Zarena laughed, a sparkling champagne fizz laugh, and Sasha glared at her. Now. Let your girl do as she's been commanded, and let my husband have his peace of mind. Sasha kept staring at her, and she knew she had him, at least for the time being. If she could string this deception along for another few weeks, and keep Sasha fearful of doing his own investigations, it would be enough time for her to learn who, exactly, had been speaking to Tanya through that radio. A delicate piece of information but an important one. Information that could do the right damage if she laid it out at the right time and for the right people. Sasha Komietsky was not the right person. You're listening to The Witch Who Came In From The Cold, created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away.
Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. The Witch Who Came In From The Cold is created by Max Gladstone and written by Max Gladstone, Lindsay Smith, Cassandra Rose Clark, Ian Tregellis, and Michael Swanwick. Performed by Christine Lakin and John Glushevich. Directed by Dennis Kao. Produced by Julian Yap and Marco Palmieri. Associate Producers Corey Barton and Devin Shepard. Executive Produced by Molly Barton. Audio Production by Literati Audio. Audio Editing by Evan Arnett and Fred Koch. Mixing and Mastering by Jeremy Wesley. Original Music by Katherine Anderson. Find more shows like this on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.